Hello and welcome to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the radical welcome of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God to inspire and transform us. We're happy to share that message with you wherever you are on life's journey. Now here's this week's message. The first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus. When God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, telling him to go to Egypt to liberate the Israelites from slavery. Listen now for God's word for us today. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I have been eloquent neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you ought to speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, What of your brother Aaron and the Levites? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You will speak for him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. You indeed shall speak for you to the people. You shall serve as a mouth for you, and I will serve as God for him. Now take your hand and take this staff which is with you and perform all the signs that you should. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Acts. In chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. Then the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So Philip got up and went. Now, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and to sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him, 
Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom does the prophet say this? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? So he commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word for us here today. Thanks be to God. You join me in a moment of prayer. Let us pray. Holy God, today we give you thanks for the opportunity to be together with you and with your word. We ask that you would send your spirit in our midst and that the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. This morning's sermon title I borrowed from a poem by Jane Hirschfield. The poem is called, I Wanted to Be Surprised. I Wanted to Be Surprised. To such a request, she writes, the world is obliging. In just the past week, a rotund porcupine who seemed equally startled by me a man who swallowed a tiny microphone to record the sounds of his body, not considering how he might remove it. A cabbage and mustard sandwich on marbled bread. Farther down, the poem continues, what should not have been so surprising, my error after error, recognized when appearing on the faces of others. What did not surprise enough my daily expectation that anything would continue, and then that so much did continue when so much did not. Well, if we, like the speaker in this poem, desire to be surprised, the gospel certainly is obliging as well. This morning's scripture is full of surprises, even as it also does not surprise and also does not surprise enough. The surprising message of the gospel this morning, in both of our scripture readings, is that God uses imperfect means to achieve a perfect end. God uses imperfect means to achieve a perfect end. Consider the people that we heard about. God intended for the people of Israel to be free from slavery in Egypt. It's a mighty deed and a wonder. But who did God send to do this? God sent one who is by his own admission slow of speech. Moses was in many ways the perfect man for the job. He was born to a Hebrew mother, but he was raised in the Egyptian court. This mixed identity made him an ideal mediator between the two worlds of the Israelites and the Egyptians. And yet, yet he still protested. He said, I've never been eloquent. 
Send someone else, please. Weirdly enough, God obliges him. What if your brother Aaron, the Levite, even now he's on his way here to meet you? That must have been a surprise to Moses. Of course, neither Moses nor Aaron were up to the task of confronting the oppressive power that denied the full humanity and flourishing of the Israelites. But together, their imperfections complemented one another. And a thousand years passed, and another imperfect person was chosen by God to speak on God's behalf. Philip was one of the original apostles. He was one of the people whom Jesus had directly addressed and said, follow me. And scripture teaches us that after Philip had been with Jesus for a time, he went and he found his friend Nathaniel, and he told Nathaniel that he needs to come and meet this Jesus as well. So from the beginning, Philip has been a guy who is one to go and get others and bring them to Jesus. He seems like just the right man for the job, a good disciple. But like all the disciples, Philip was thoroughly human, and that should not surprise us. For instance, when Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who knows me knows the Father who sent me. Philip is the one who spoke up. And he said, show us the Father, then we'll believe. And a bit incredulously, perhaps with his anger kindled a little bit, Jesus responds, have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Philip's error, this imperfect faith on display, it's something something with which we're pretty familiar in scriptural stories about the disciples of Christ. What I learned this week, what may surprise you to learn, is that there is actually an apocryphal 4th century text called the Acts of Philip, that was written about this uh, biblical figure. There were many such apocryphal books written about the apostles and sort of all the wonders and signs that they did when they were out proclaiming the gospel. Um, What's fascinating about the Acts of Philip, though, in addition to all of the miracle stories it contains, is that just like Moses, it describes Philip as being vexed by the calling Jesus placed upon his life. Jesus tells him in the Acts of Philip that he has to go out and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the non-Jews. And according to the Acts, his sister, Miriamne, whose name is almost the same as Moses' sister, Miriam, comes to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not see that my brother is vexed? But Jesus says, I know, but go with him and encourage him. For I know that he is a wrathful and rash man, and if we let him go alone, he will bring many retributions on men. So just as Moses had Aaron, Philip apparently had Miriamne, his sister, to go with him and encourage him. So it's a surprise to learn that perhaps Philip was not traveling alone. It's also surprising to see who it is that the spirit of Jesus directs Philip to. This person in the book of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch, as he is referred to, is identified immediately 
as an outsider to Jewish society, a Gentile, by virtue of his racial and gender identity. In spite of the fact we are told that he was a worshiper of God, that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship there, we are also aware that he is described as a eunuch. And according to the exclusionary policies of the time, eunuchs were not allowed to actually worship in the temple of Jerusalem. So despite the fact that he had made that long journey from Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem to worship, he would have been turned away at the threshold of the temple. And this is based on a prohibition against eunuchs serving in the temple that is found in the book of Leviticus. Even then, even then, surprisingly enough, having been turned away and sent packing, the Ethiopian eunuch still desires to worship and know God because he spends his return journey reading aloud from the scripture. And then again, in a surprising moment of providence, Philip happens to overhear the words of the prophet Isaiah about the Lamb of God being taken to the slaughter, and without hesitation, he runs up to this gilded carriage, not knowing who's inside, probably not caring who's inside of it, probably not caring that much that he's a bedraggled itinerant apostle who's probably not going to be welcome in a gilded carriage on a wilderness road. But there, over the din of clattering wheels, he can't help himself. He shouts out. He says, do you understand what you are reading? It's a weird way to begin a conversation. (laughs) But it also indicates to us one of the other imperfect means for God's perfect ends. You see, despite what some believe, Scripture is not perfect. It is not inerrant. The words on the page are a testimony to the word of God, but the words on the page never fully capture that word. To believe that the Bible is the only inerrant source of God is to be guilty of the sin of bibliolatry, that is, turning the Bible into an idol. If scripture were simply the perfect means of bringing about the kingdom of God, then all I'd have to do on Sunday morning would be to read the words and then hold up the book And then we would all bow down, and we would all become very Christ-like. But that's not how it works. Would we understand the word's meaning for us today? How can we understand without a guide? Scripture needs interpretation. And that's not simply the preacher's role. It's not about the preacher's interpretation that somehow perfects the words on the page. No preacher is perfect. Moses wasn't perfect. Philip wasn't perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. But in all these cases, Scripture indicates to us that there is perhaps something more at work in the midst of all these imperfect interpretations. That the very Spirit of Christ is what comes to make something wonderful out of all this imperfection. It is the Spirit that gives the gospel its stubborn, courteous persistence, in the words of Hirschfeld's poem. She writes, Even today, please means please. Good morning is still understood as good morning. Hirschfeld talks about the persistence of language and its meaning as something that does not surprise us enough. But she could just as easily be speaking about the persistence of God in our midst, 
that even today, grace still means grace, and forgiveness still means forgiveness, and hope is still hope, and that the kingdom of God, the promise of a community of love, is right here among us. But of course, the church is also an imperfect means to this perfect end, this promise of the kingdom of God. It has been in every age, in ways great and small. Like the temple authorities in Jerusalem who excluded people from the worship of God because of their sexual identity and gender expression, Christians have and still often do condemn homosexuals and trans people as sinners and abominations. Often Christians wield scripture as a weapon. They use the so-called clobber passages from the Bible that on the face of them seem to lend literal weight to these condemnations and ostracizations. And it may not surprise us to know that this is the case even in churches today. As Christian ethicist Miguel de la Torre writes in his recent book, Liberating Sexuality, he says, who hasn't heard some well-meaning questioner respond to the right for LGBT people to marry or raise children with, but the Bible says, because of how the texts have been used, many Christians have remained silent about their orientation or gender identity, and many have been forced out of their faith communities or, feeling unwelcomed, have left of their own accord. Family members of LGBT people have also been asked to make a choice between loving their kin or following the narrow dictates of their church communities. Having said that, De La Torre goes on to give interpretations of the passages most often cited to condemn same-sex couples or trans people and instead offers an alternative interpretation. He says, we must spend time in community wrestling with these texts in an honest, thoughtful, and curious way. He does not mean to replace one dictate with another, but rather the wrestling the process of interpretation in community that we engage in, that is what the Spirit calls us to. And we may be surprised by what it will yield. Indeed, if we want to be surprised to such a request, the gospel always obliges. For instance, I wonder, I would like to know, uh, if as they were going along, the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, about those passages in Leviticus that had been used to exclude him from the temple in Jerusalem. I wonder if he asked, if he confronted him with this. And I wonder how Philip would have responded. I wonder these things because I have fielded similar questions uh, about this church. Whether one would be welcome here if they are LGBTQ. These folks have all learned that just because the sign on the front of the church may say all are welcome, this is not always the case. They have heard that churches are Bible-believing, but oftentimes Bible-believing churches are unwelcoming and unsafe spaces. And so I wonder if Philip talked about those passages with the Ethiopian eunuch, and instead of drawing the most exclusionary interpretation, he offered a new one in light of the commandments of Jesus, that we are to love one another. You see, Philip had been given a difficult task. He had been told to go and convert people who were not like him, 
He was told to convert people who were of other nations and other religions to follow a Jewish prophet and martyr, a task he may not have felt up to, but that the Spirit of Christ helped him with, that his sister accompanied him with, perhaps. That, and it is that same Spirit and that same going together with, I would hope, that guided him in his answer. As commentator Janet Edmonds points out about this passage, the Holy Spirit could have chosen anyone to be the first Gentile convert to Christianity. But the Holy Spirit, through Philip, chose an African sexual minority to be that first convert. It is an unmistakable message of inclusiveness. And perhaps that unmistakable message doesn't surprise us enough today, but it should. When the Ethiopian eunuch asked Philip, what is to prevent me from being baptized? No doubt there would have been many things that would have sprung to his mind. The barriers of culture and race, the dictates of religious authority, the man's sexual identity. All these differences, the things that are identified first, all of those are reasons not not to allow him to be baptized, not to allow him into the Christian community. Yet, instead of dwelling on these differences, Philip sought common ground. Because it is on common ground that the waters of baptism are poured out on our common imperfections, on our common needs. And when those waters are poured out, the seeds of hope that God plants in all of us begin to grow. And we see how God uses imperfect means to achieve God's perfect ends. The witness of scripture, the people who are in it, the people who proclaim it, the people who hear it, the church, all these are imperfect vessels, leaky and easily swamped by the powers and principalities, by the culture around them, by the fears of difference that can be stoked in our hearts if we're not careful. And one wonders why it is that God would use such imperfect means to achieve God's divine purposes for creation. But perhaps, perhaps today we're better off leaving the why to God and instead choosing just to be grateful. Grateful that God has chosen us, imperfect though we are, to join with God and with one another. For when we accept this difficult, joyful calling with gratitude we may surprise ourselves with what the gospel can do. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Union Congregational Church and our life together, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or find us on social media, at Church by the Park. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.